Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Amen. As we continue to worship together as the body of Christ, let me invite you. Let's take the Word of God, open the Word of God, turn in the Word of God this morning to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We have been walking text by text, verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. And for the next three Sundays, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at the Christmas stories. We enter to the Christmas season, and we're going to stop, pause, and look at the Christmas text and see... Uh, the truth that God has for us there. So we'll be back in Mark come New Year. And so y'all be prepared for that. Continue to bring those Mark Scripture journals next time in, in the month of January. Um, but we're going to build our time and our lives up into Christmas right now. So Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And as you're turning to Matthew 1, let me again thank you so much for your prayer. Last Sunday we were out, my family and I, we were in Minnesota for a family funeral. Tara's grandmother had passed away. And so we had to go up there and, and be a part of that. And all 17 of her family members, we all traveled together. Um, we had so many kids in car seats and bags on trains, planes, and automobiles, right? That's what we did. But somehow we made it by the grace of God. And, and I'll just tell you, it's a different world up there. When it snows here, we shut everything down, right? I mean, no school, no work. We drive 10 miles per hour. We get there and, and land, it's 10 degrees, it's snowing, and I get on the interstate there, and everyone's going 75 miles per hour. And so I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm putting my life in your hands, and we're going to go with the flow. And so I, I drove as fast as I've ever driven in snow before, um, but we had a wonderful celebration of life, and we got to preach the gospel and be, I kind of viewed it as a mission trip for myself, because up there, Tara has family members who aren't saved and don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and certainly a community up there that is, is not dense with the gospel, and so we were thankful to be able to go, and, and God was honored, so I appreciate your prayers. I also want to thank Pastor Cody. Um, he did a phenomenal job, I hear, from last Sunday, and so we're appreciative of our, uh, the best associate pastor in the whole world sitting right there. Amen. Y'all give him just a huge round of applause. <clears throat> We are thankful for him. So as we continue to worship, let me again invite us to Matthew 1. Matthew 1. As we think about the Christmas story, Christmas is all around us. We're about to celebrate Christmas in a few weeks. And, and most of us kind of think about Christmas. We begin with the manger. And that's traditionally where we begin. We're going to begin there today. But when we think about the gospel, the Christmas story of who Christ is and what he has come to do, I think scripturally it begins in the garden. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, in the beginning, when all things were good, in the beginning, when man was right in relationship with God and walking an unbroken relationship with God, all of that changed in an instant when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they stepped out of God's design and out of his good instruction. They took of the fruit, they took uh, of the temptation, and they ate, and then sin entered into the world. And as a result of their sin, as a result of their rebellion, their rejection, the resistance of God, what happened is brokenness entered into the world and man was separated from God. Right? That is what happened when you and I sin and we fall into the nature of sin. We have separated ourselves from God. Fellowship broken, peace shattered, creation as a result from that moment thrown into chaos, darkness and depravity began to overwhelm the heart of man, separating us from God for all eternity. But right then, in that moment, in the middle of, of, of our worst 
moments in the middle of our sin and shame, what happened in the garden is God spoke a word of hope. God spoke a promise. And it's in Genesis 3.15. And in Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right in the beginning, we see God says a Savior is going to come. Right? Sin, yes. Satan, yes. You have defeated this moment, but you will ultimately be defeated by a son that will come. And this son will be born of a woman. This son will defeat the enemy, and this son will deliver his people. That is the promise that God gave right there of Christ in the very beginning. And I love that because before God ever turns his attention to Adam and Eve, he turns his attention to the serpent. And he says, Satan, hey, it's not over. You haven't won anything. In fact, I'm going to send a son, and my son is going to come. He's going to defeat you. He's going to deliver my people. And from our very first moment, we see right after this a need for a Savior because of our separation and our sin. Right? It comes in Christ. And from that point forward, Old Testament prophecy after Old Testament prophecy promises the coming of a Savior, promises a Messiah that will come to deliver the people of God. Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 9.6, those are kind of the centerpiece Christmas prophecies written kind of roughly 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And all the details that, that Isaiah gave, they were fulfilled completely by Jesus right here in Matthew chapter 1. And so we're going to turn our attention here because at Christmas... We don't just remember that Jesus came, we remember why he came. Why did he come to deliver us from our sins? So let's stand for the reading of God's word, if you will, with me. <clears throat> Matthew 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, or legally bound, engaged to Joseph, before they came together physically, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce, dissolve their arrangement, their, their potential marriage. He resolved to do that quietly. But as he considered these things, as he made these plans, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, as he comes from the lineage of King David himself in that first part of Matthew 1. He says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. In Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but didn't know her physically until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is the word of God. Let us submit our lives to his authority today. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to celebrate your living, eternal, life-giving word. Father, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that what we don't know, you teach. What we don't have, you give. Lord, who we are not, you will make. Write your eternal truth upon our hearts. And Father, speak, for your servants are listening. It's in Christ's name that we pray, and God's church says today, amen. 
As you find your seats this morning, again, you can find the backside of your worship guide. We're going to walk through the text and walk through the Word and plug some things in as we go. And we're going to see exactly what's going on. We have three characters right here. We have Mary, we have Joseph, we have an angel, and then we're going to have a Savior. So four characters coming to life here. And we're going to see how this all comes together in the coming, in the birth of Jesus Christ. And so first of all, we got Joseph. And Joseph is an interesting character because we don't know much about him. And after this, we don't know much about him at all. But here's what we know in this story. We see, first of all, Joseph runs into a disappointing interruption. Or a very disappointing interruption. It goes on in verse 18 again. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now we're seeing their engagement process here, and, and if you've been married, if you are married, you know about the engagement process. And back in July 2004, I met a girl at church camp named Tara Teff. Right? Her, her name would go on to be Tara Venable, and she changed my life forever. As soon as I met her, I immediately knew that was the girl I wanted to pursue. That was the girl that I wanted to marry, and so I pursued her, and mostly I persuaded her for three and a half years to become my wife until March 10th, 2007, I proposed and asked her to become my wife. Now, prior to that question and prior to that date, I sat down with her father. It's the only time I asked him to go out to eat with me, and I went and took him to Brahms, of all places. That's where he wanted to go. And we sat down and asked for his permission to marry his daughter. And ladies, you already know where I got the wedding ring. He went to Jared's, all right? If you go watch those commercials. And from the moment that she said yes, what did we do? We began to plan our life together. We're planning a wedding. We're planning a whole entire marriage. We're, we're planning a lifetime together. Our engagement was an exciting time for us, but not for Joseph. Because it comes to verse 18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, the dream of, of the future that Joseph had for his life turned into a nightmare. And it turned into a nightmare as we see how he responds to this news. And so here's what you need to know about the first century Jewish engagements. To be betrothed, that word we're using here in the word of God, to be betrothed was to be legally bound. All right, it was a legally bound arrangement to be married. And to call off a first century engagement or betrothal, it was the equivalence of calling for a divorce. That's why he's was going to divorce her quietly. And so while this was, yes, an engagement, it was a lot weightier than the Western culture engagement that we have today. Right? There's a lot of implications, a lot of legality. It was very weighty. And so after the father gave permission, but before the seven-day wedding feast where the marriage was consummated and they began to come together physically, relationally as husband and wife, what we knew is that the groom would go. He would have permission, they would have the arrangements, and he would go, and he wouldn't go get ready for a wedding, he would go get ready for a marriage. He would go back home, he would build a house upon the, the father's land, the family land, and he would prepare everything for his wife to come and take her home. He would say to her, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be with me also. All right, sound familiar? All right, so this is what he, the husband would go do for the bride. And so Joseph would go back home, and he would get everything ready until it was time for the groom to show up. So you know what that means in this context is the bride never knew when she was going to get married. 
The bride was promised. The bride was told the husband would go prepare the place that was going to be for her. And at any moment, the groom could show up at the blast of a shofar or the ram's horn to signify the bridegroom has arrived and the wedding day is on. And all of a sudden, she had to be ready. Amen. That sound like anything else we're waiting for? Are we not waiting for our bridegroom to show up with his shofar, the blast of his horn, and say, I'm here for my bride? This is exactly what it looked like in the first century context here. And in the middle of all these great plans, in the middle of all this excitement, in the middle of all the the life that they're going to build together, Mary has soul-crushing news for Joseph. She's pregnant. She's with child. I mean, can, uh, it's hard for us even to imagine that, right? It's unbelievable. A pregnant virgin? Oh, sure, yeah, that, that makes sense, right? That, that's not very believable. Joseph knows 100% it's not his because the text says it's before they came together. So Joseph knows without a shadow of doubt, this is not mine. And so it can only mean one thing, and there can only be one logical conclusion to make in the story, which Joseph apparently makes, is that Mary has been unfaithful. That's the conclusion he arrives at. Mary has been unfaithful. And so put yourself in this young couple's shoes. I mean, imagine the confusion for both. Imagine the, the, the just emotions for both. Mary, having never had a physical relationship with a man, she finds out she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. God comes to her. You can read about that in Luke 1 and Luke 2. God comes to her and says she's been pregnant with the, by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, having never had a physical relationship with Mary, he finds out his wife-to-be is pregnant. And so the question becomes, what would you do if you found out the person that you love, the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with, by all appearances, has been unfaithful? You do exactly what he did. He calls it off. Verse 19 says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, implying that there was shame, right? So we're seeing that in the context. He resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph says, I'm, I'm not doing this. It's not my child. I, I don't believe this has happened. I, I, I see that there's shame involved here, and, and I'm not going to go through with this. And so the virgin birth for us is very familiar. All right? we, we're 2,000 years removed from that. We, we get it. We understand it. We believe it. But it was impossible for Joseph because this has never happened before. Never happened since, right? This is a one-time God-ordained miracle. This is what God has done. And shockingly, what I see with Joseph, instead of divorcing her publicly to protect his own reputation, instead of calling for her shame so he can protect his family, Joseph resolves to divorce her quietly. Why does he do that? What does the Bible say? He was a just man. He was a man full of righteousness. He was a man of love and compassion and grace and kindness. He was a man that not wanted to subject the bride-to-be to, to be shamed, but a bride-to-be to be protected. Not a lot of characters in Scripture are, are noted for their righteousness or for their justness, but Joseph is. When he could have made a public spectacle of Mary, in which a lot of us would have been tempted to do to say, hey, I've got to protect my reputation here. I got to make sure people don't think I've done something wrong. I got to make sure they know it was all her. It was not me. Instead of doing those things, Joseph chose honor. I love that even in great disappointment, Joseph chose dignity. He chose dignity. He didn't show, choose disgrace. Even when he didn't understand, he was willing to take on the consequences for the sake of loving and protecting the bride. 
So in the middle of this great, exciting news, Joseph runs into a very disappointing interruption. It's not the way he was planning his life, was it? Not the way he thought his future was going to go. And so Joseph has made a decision. It's off. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to marry Mary. It's not going to go this way. I'm going to divorce her quietly. So we see a disappointing interruption lead to a decision. But then we see, secondly, a divine instruction come. A divine instruction show up. So Joseph, he was determined to cut himself off from the complicated mess, right? Doesn't want a part of that drama, doesn't want to be a character in this play. He's going to move on in his life without Mary, right? So Mary, we're done, I'm moving a different direction. And so that's his plan until God told him otherwise. I want you to think about it. Joseph almost missed out on being a part of God's big plan But he overcame his fear, he overcame his disappointment by placing his faith in God. He trusted God. God came to him with a word, and Joseph believed the word of God. And so we see Joseph, as a result now of choosing God, instead of choosing himself, he was willing to lose his life. He was willing to give up his life in order to follow God's direction, all for the sake of Jesus. Right? He's laying his life down for Jesus, no matter what scandalous rumors or shame may be implied, no matter what social consequences he may face, what other people thought about him and Mary or said about his wife or family, Joseph signed up for all this for the sake of Jesus Christ. Which tells us two things as we apply this text. Number one, we see that God found Joseph in the middle of his fear. All right, God found Joseph in the middle of his fear. Look in verse 20. It says, but as he considered these things, as considering divorce, considering putting her away quietly, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And what did this angel say from God? The word of God says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's not from man, it's from God. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, normally, when you read the New Testament, when angels show up, they scare people so much, they tell people what? Hey, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Right? That's what they say. Shepherds in the field, do not fear. They show up to Joseph, and they show up to Mary. They show up to everybody. They always come, and they say, do not fear. But here, there's a specific do not fear. It's not just a general do not fear. He comes to Joseph, and the angel tells him something a little different, a little more clarifying. He says, again, in verse 20, he said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not fear, not just in general, but do not fear specifically to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God sent word to Joseph. God gave him his word that he had doubts. He had fear. He was afraid of the complicated future of what it might imply to take Mary as his wife and all the consequences of the situation, both socially and physically. And and what we see is in the middle of his doubts, in the middle of his fears, in the middle of his questions, God meets Joseph right in the middle of those things. God comes to him with what? His word. 
doesn't come to him to manipulate him emotionally. doesn't come to him to say, here's what I want you to do. He comes to him and says, here's my word. Here's my promise. Here's what I'm going to do. And here's what I'm asking you to do in obedience. God's spoken word was the only reason Joseph was willing to take on a huge risk. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. But hearing comes by the very word of Christ. Right? We've come to faith by the word of God. God's spoken word is what came to him. And so I just want to challenge you as we think about Joseph, what an interesting character in the Christmas story. Do not be afraid to do what God has told you to do. Do not be afraid to be obedient to the word of God. Because sometimes it can be like, God, is that really what you want me to do? God, are you sure? If I do that, then that means this will happen. And God, if I do this, then this is going to make this a little more complicated because, God, if I'm going to walk in your word, I'm going to walk in your ways, and I'm going to do it according to your will, then, God, it's going to make my life a a little more complicated than it was if I compromise. And so we see that Joseph, he was not afraid. God came to him with a word. God met him in the middle of his doubts. God met him in the middle of his fear, and he gives him assurance with hope gives him assurance with security, and he gives him with a promise to say this, do not be afraid to do what I've told you to do. I love that. God's word meets us. And so I don't know what you're challenged with. I don't know what you're doubting. I don't know what you're confused by. I don't know what consequences may come as a result, but I would challenge you with this. Do not be afraid to be obedient to do what God has told you to do. I can also tell you this. God will not bless your disobedience. God does not allow his children to sin successfully, right? He's not going to just bless you because you're opposing his word. If you want the blessing and the promise and the truth of God to come alive in you, you got to walk in his ways. And so I challenge you to do what Joseph says, God, that's going to cost me. God, there's some consequences that come with this. But Joseph not resolved to do it his way. Joseph resolved to do it God's way. And the blessing was insurmountable, what God has done. And so I just want to challenge you guys, trust and live, obey, apply, do the word of God. All right, there's no substitute for that in your life. It is a lamp unto your feet. It is a light unto your path. Be obedient to God and trust him with all the outcomes. And so again, what does that look like for you? It may cost you something at work because, hey, i got to stand on the truth of God's word. I'm not going to compromise and cut those corners. Hey, you know what? This is what word calls me to do when it comes to this substance. I'm going to cut this out of my life, and I'm going to get right with God. There's a lot of things, guys, that we need to do to live according to the word of God. And I would say trust God with the outcomes. You be in charge of your obedience. So trust God. The second thing that we see about Joseph, Joseph chose to believe the unbelievable. Joseph chose to believe the unbelievable. Again, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. All right, this wasn't just a, a supernatural birth. This was God himself coming down to invade our darkness and sin and to become our deliverer. Right? This is God being born in the flesh. All right, this is Christ being made alive for us. We see him come and to reveal salvation to man. And so we see that, that this is the promise that has come. And she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall come, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, 
He did exactly as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he didn't know her physically. There's no sexual relationship until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, now this would have been a lot easier if God would have explained all this on the front end, right? It would have been a lot easier to say, hey, Joseph, before you betrothed yourself to Mary, here's, here's what I'm going to do. All right, here's what's going to happen. That would have been a lot easier, all right, because Joseph wouldn't have gone through the heartache and you imagine the sleepless nights, like, how am I going to get out of this situation? How do I protect Mary but protect myself? Like, you think about all the complications. He's, he's going to come with a solution that works for everybody. God could have explained all this, and he could have explained it even at the same time he explained it to Mary, but he didn't. He didn't. God allowed Joseph room to think the worst without any answers. All right, we see that. Joseph's left to himself say, I guess I just got to divorce her. All right, he doesn't know. He doesn't have the answers. Why? Why does God allow him to go through that? Because faith is trusting God even when it doesn't make sense. Faith is trusting God even when you don't have all the answers. Faith is trusting God even when you don't know the outcomes. Isn't that what Hebrews says? That faith is not things that we can see, but faith is trusting in the invisible, right? That, that faith is not always things that we can always know about, but faith is just trusting in God's promise and God's plan, right? This is where Joseph is living. He's living in faith. He's living by faith. We can't always see God's bigger plan. We can't always know exactly what God's going to do, but we can stick to God's plan no matter how tough it is and no matter how hard the circumstances are. Even when you can't see it, you can stick to it. God's plan is always better. God's plan always prevails, and God's plan always leads to blessings, always leads to his promises coming true, always leads to him blessing your life with his resolve to see you through these things. So stand strong and trust the God who holds your life in his hands because we see the greater the problem, the greater the need for faith. He has to have faith. And then we see this immovable obedience in Joseph. I, I love Joseph's response. I mean, in verse 24 and 25, he woke up. What did he do? He did what God said. It wasn't like, all right, God, I'm going to need another dream tonight. <laughs> and I'm going to need you to tell me something more. All right, God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give it a week. Let me see how this goes. Let me see if my plan works first. No, God, that's great. I know your word says this, but I kind of feel like this would be better for my life if I did it my way instead of your way. All right, Joseph didn't argue. Joseph didn't ask for more evidence. Joseph didn't have any more questions. Joseph didn't ask for another night's sleep to see if God had changed his mind. Joseph simply obeyed. He had the word of God. He obeyed the word of God, and he walked in the will of God. And when you and I look around at our world, it's tempting to, to kind of look around and think about all that we risk if we follow God and do what he tells us to do. I mean, think about, like, all right, I've got to change some things because I've been compromising a lot of things, and if I do that, it's going to cost me this, it's going to cost me that. But like Joseph, our questions and our doubts, they should lead us back to the truth that God is in complete control. Joseph was obedient. And so I see this, church. We have a lot that comes before us, and, and God has revealed his entire plan and purpose to us. And it may be messy, and it may be complicated, but I promise you this, God will not bless your compromise. Right? So we see Joseph do exactly what we all should do, is I've got the word of God before me, and I'm going to follow it. I've got the word of God in my hands, and I'm going to obey it. I'm going to do what he called me to do, and I'm going to do it every step. As the word of God says, Deuteronomy, I'm looking to the left, I'm not looking to the right, I'm looking straight ahead of what God has. 
Don't be tempted to compromise, but be tempted to be committed to the truth that God has for us. Because here's the big picture, and we're going to look at this more next week. But the big picture is this. The manger is proof that there is no mess too big for God to enter. The manger is proof that there is no mess too big for God to enter. Y'all think about this. Jesus was born wrapped in clothes, all wrapped up together, placed in a manger, most likely in a cave because there was no place in the inn. That's the way he came. When Jesus left this world, he was wrapped in clothes, placed in an empty tomb because there's no place for him in the hearts of man. And all of a sudden, doesn't he just get up and rise up and resurrect himself and not only stay dead in that tomb, but he comes back and he comes alive and he comes for us, right, to reveal that he is the Savior for the sins of the world. He is the Savior for his people. He is our Savior. He is our King. He is our Lord. This is who our Jesus is. And the manger is proof that there's no mess too big that he won't enter because not only does he enter the mess of Mary and Joseph in their whole entire situation, but he enters the mess of you and me. Right? He came into this world. He came in this world full of sin. He came in this world full of darkness. He came in this world full of shame and dysfunction. And what does God do? He comes to deliver. He comes to say, no, 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 no. I've come to be the Savior for the whole world. Right? I'm the sacrificial Lamb of God. And I'm He, as John says, who takes away the sins of the whole world. This is why He has come. And so we understand that your life, like Joseph and Mary, it may be filled with a lot of questions. It may look really messy from the outside looking in. But He alone can redeem it and restore it and reconcile it to Himself. He came for you, church. He came for you. He came to deliver you. He came to redeem you. He came to bring you back to himself. And there's no mess too big that he can't fix. There's no mess too big that his word can't speak truth over. So I don't know what your mess is. I don't know what's complicated in your life. I don't know what questions that you have and you're wrestling with. I don't know where you have doubts and you're wondering, God, what in the world are you doing? But I do know this, that his word will guide you. His promises will hold you. And he has come to save you. There's nothing that he cannot accomplish in your life if you trust and submit and follow him. He will always work together for your good, for those who love him and are called according to his promises. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.